Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to another episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest tonight is Cody Jefferson. Cody is the founder of the Embrace the Lion Roundtable. He helps good men become great so they can have it all in life, love, and business. He says, stop sacrificing your soul on the altar of your success. Cody, welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Appreciate you coming on. Um, so I think we'd like to start with you just kind of giving a little bit of your background um, for our listeners who may not you know, know much about you. And um, you know, your story kind of has a pretty pivotal point where you had to seriously turn your life around in a different direction. So. Um, yeah, you you want all of that? Well, I mean, just maybe a little bit about um, you know you were a pastor, kind of you know doing that for, for a while, and then uh, kind of the point where you had the hospitalization and, and things like that. And uh, I feel, man, I feel like you might tell my story better than I do. Maybe you've been I'm, doing a little research. Do a little research. We try. We try. You dig into like the nose in the room with us. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like I've told this story a hundred times. I'd love to hear how you tell it because I feel like <laughs> stories are always better told by somebody else. Um, yeah, so Cody Jefferson, listen, I if you can't hear it, you'll hear it as we continue talking. I'm from Oklahoma. Um, there was a there was a season in my life where I tried to hide the sound of of my roots, and now I just embrace it because I feel like I wouldn't be where I'm at without the people that have surrounded me and held me up for uh, well, going on 40 years now. So, from Oklahoma, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so for 13 years, I was in occupational ministry. Started ministry at uh, at 19. Didn't really have any idea what I was getting into. Now, I grew up in the church, grew up in a small Southern Baptist church in rural Oklahoma. Uh, they love me coming back now with all my tattoos. It's real sweet. Um, but it was it was a great season uh, growing up. I had a grandfather and a grandmother who were deeply involved in the church. And so I grew up making hospital visits and cooking meals for people and, and living a very simple life, but a, a, a really beautiful life. And uh, even as I've created and cultivated a certain level of what most would call success now, I recognize that it's in the little things uh, that we find the greatest, um, the greatest joy, and I think where God shows up the most. But, anyways, grew up going to church uh, in my teenage years. I fell out of church really because I just wanted to do my own thing and. In a, a small religious community, really didn't allow for that, and I, I thought I knew everything, as every teenager does. I was managing a garage, just wrenching on cars, uh, going to college, and the owner of that garage asked me if I'd go to church. I'm like, nope, I've been there and I've done that. I, I really, I'm good. He's like, well, let's go get some coffee, and so I'm like, all right, let's go get some coffee. We ended up at a mega church in Tulsa, which, if you're not familiar with Tulsa, then you probably aren't really familiar with charismatic evangelical churches because this is where it all started. We are the buckle of the Bible belt. And so I ended up at a coffee shop inside of a church where I, I didn't even know existed at the time. I didn't know that was possible. Loud music, rock and roll, the pastor drove a Harley. And I'm like, well, well, maybe this Jesus, maybe this, maybe this is the one I, I can get into this. And man, he and I just hit it off. You know, I didn't really know who I was. Um, I grew up in a in a, a fairly not, not a broken home because again, I, I was raised fairly well by my grandparents. My dad worked a lot. He was a true single parent. My mom wasn't really around a ton, and ended up leaving uh, when I was in my early teenage years. Uh, they got divorced when I was maybe. 
four, two, three, you know, early. And so my grandparents, again, were the kind of the framing of, of what I knew as healthy. And so I, I go to this church at 19, not really knowing anything about anything. I had a, an okay theological background, but this was a different kind of theology. And this was a different kind of church. And this was a different kind of Jesus. And man, the pastor and I just really resonated. He had a very similar story to mine and we hit it off and he ended up taking me under his wing. And I mean, really within a few weeks, I was on stage, I was playing music, I was leading worship. You know, I was a musician, I did well academically in school and I was fairly charismatic and good with a microphone. And so then I started opening service and then that led to being over the worship and developing the worship of our children's church and community. And then there was a, a, a moral failing that had happened and, and the church uh, kind of lost its direction and uh, rocked me because I, I put all my stock into, in, into this community, into this leader and still love them. Uh, no, no ill will or anything else. I just didn't know up from down. And because I just, I wasn't spiritually mature enough. So I went to a United Methodist church and served the United Methodist conference for eight years and sat under really, really amazing leadership. And it was a really, really great season. The problem was I just didn't know who I was. I did not know who I was outside of what I did. And growing up the way that I grew up, um, there was a lot of insecurity. And there was insecurity not because, again, things were bad. It's just uh, there was not really a lot of affirmation. And so I was always trying to prove things. Uh, I wasn't a really big guy. I'm not a huge, I mean, I'm kind of yoked now, but I'm five foot six. So like I wasn't a really tall guy. Like there, there was just a lot of ways in which I was constantly trying to prove myself. Academically, I did really well in school. But when you go to like a small varsity blues high school in rural Oklahoma, sports rule the day. And I wasn't a football player. Like I was as big as a football. So you got the guy who's the musician, you know, doing classical piano compositions and going for an undergrad in music and simultaneously having art gallery showings and being at the top of my class academically, I just didn't fit in square peg round hole. And so I was constantly fighting for being useful. And my thought was, I really don't even know what I believe outside of what I'm taught to believe. And, you know, I went to ORU, which is a Christian university here. And so I knew what I was taught. I knew what I was paid to teach. I knew what sounded good on Sunday morning. And I, I knew all the, I checked all the right boxes. I tithed, I did all the right things. But inside, man, I was completely lost. I had no idea who I was. And did you just the, feel too like you had no freedom to even like confess to anyone? That yeah, well, because way? man, yeah, because when you're in leadership, it's a very interesting proposition. Like you're able to share, but within certain confines. Because if I'm a pastor and I'm telling you, man, I don't really even like I think I caught atheist flu this week. I'm not really sure what I believe. You can't say that. You can't say that I struggle with destructive thoughts. I struggle with depression and anxiety. Not that I feel like I am depressed, but I struggle with these thoughts and these feelings. You can't say that because I'm supposed to be the one leading. I'm supposed to be the one with the answers. At least that's the way that it was portrayed to me. And that's the way that I felt and thought. And we weren't ones growing up to really convey what we felt. Like you just do, you work hard. Jefferson's work hard. We will outwork anyone. 
And I didn't grow up with men who really talked about their feelings or their emotions or anything else, which is okay. But man, like growing up, divorce was something that you did not want to navigate these certain complexities. And so I already felt inadequate. Like I just got to work really hard and I got to be the best at everything. Because if you guys really knew that I struggle with this, if you knew that I came from a single bedroom trailer, if you knew that like I was called trailer trash my whole life growing up, if you knew that I struggled with identity, if you knew that I came from a divorced home, and if you knew that my mom left, like you wouldn't want me leading you. So just work harder, keep the mask on, make sure everybody's good. Ended up getting married, right? Which is what you do. And uh, we, it was uh, amazing because we have an amazing son together and his name is Stetson Foster. And he is my world being a dad is the greatest gift. Um, I think God gives us as men being providers and protectors and leaders of our homes. And again, I didn't really know how to navigate that. And I was raised by a grandfather who was amazing in the patriarch of our family. And even in that, there were, there were, I was just overwhelmed. I didn't want to mess things up. I didn't want to mess up my family. And the only way that I knew to not do that was to work more because that's what my dad did. And it's not that that's what I wanted. That's the, what's interesting about the brain is the brain doesn't care. The brain only cares about patterns unless you challenge them. And so in my head, I'm like, you know, his mom is like, Hey, you're, you're never home. I'm like, well, yeah, but my job is God and God is my job. And I don't know where one stops and one starts. And I don't know where my identity starts. And like this job ends. I don't, I don't know, but I know that if I, if I'm not all things to all people, and if I don't, say yes to all things that I'm not living up to my potential because everybody says I have all this potential from the time I was a kid and everybody says that there's this big purpose and purpose-driven life and and we've commoditized the, the idea of purpose in the church and in personal development. And so I can't let anybody down. I certainly don't want to let God down. I don't want to be a failure. So no, I just got to keep working. But understand it's all for you. And that's what men, that's what we tell our, that's what we tell our families. It's all for you. I'm building all this for you. M meanwhile, I'm missing key moments of, with my baby son, I'm missing key moments with his mom. And so a year into having Stetson, uh, she lets me know that she wants a divorce. Um, no real great story, no moral failing, no, no good scandal. It's just, I just wasn't there. I thought I was, I was doing all that. Man, I was checking all the boxes. I, I thought I was supporting her in what I thought every way that I could. I was, I was, doing all the right things at the church. You know, maybe at night I was drinking a little bit too much because I just needed to shut it off because I just, I couldn't shut off my brain because there was so much anxiety around not being enough, not being enough as a dad, not being enough as a husband, not being enough as a pastor, as a man of God. Like there was no framework for this. And I couldn't talk to anybody at the church, all the church cared about. And that's rightfully so was you just got to keep producing, keep, keep going, keep, man, keep this show going. We got to get more people in chairs. Our retention needs to go up. Tithing needs to go up. It's a business. It's like anything else. We don't want to say that it is, but it is. We just put a Jesus fish on it. And so I'm walking through that process and then all hell breaks loose. Like legitimately two weeks after, um, she lets me know that 
my my 18 month old niece was murdered. Um, worst case of sexual assault to a minor on Oklahoma record. And yeah, you heard that right. And so that was rough. Um, so I led her funeral because I'm a pastor. Um, then I had another family member pass from cancer, led that funeral because I'm the pastor. Um, mentor dies in a motorcycle accident. So I lead that funeral because I'm the pastor. My sister-in-law takes her own life as a result of losing her daughter. So then I lead that funeral. And then my best friend of 18 years accidentally overdoses. So then I lead his funeral on my birthday, which now makes birthdays kind of weird for me. And then a couple months after that, my 19-year-old sister goes home to um, get lunch. And an intruder um, breaks into her apartment and strangles her to the point of unconsciousness. And I held her hand as she died. And I led her funeral. And meanwhile, like I'm all things to all people, I'm good. I'm okay. God's got a plan. We're just going to pray through it. How are you doing, brother? Are you okay? How can I pray for you? I'm fine. I'm good. Man, God's got a plan, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, isn't that what we say? That we, he's got a plan, right? And in the midst of all of this, maybe I'm in my exile right now, and maybe this is a Job moment, and I go back to the church that I grew up in, and it was my fault because I went through a divorce, and this is, this is God's judgment. And I'm like, maybe it is. I have no idea. I have no idea. So now I'm faced with this, like, sh like nobody get around me because if you get around me, you're going to die. Like it's just a total mind warp. And, uh, but I'm still showing up and I'm still doing all the things until my body gave out due to the stress and anxiety and the overwhelm of losing too many people, losing my identity, losing all the things that I thought I was fighting for. And so I went septic at the end of, uh, 2016, right into 2017, I went septic and body shut down. And it was in that hospital bed that uh, I was unconscious for a little bit. And I woke up and asked the nurse, I'm like, hey, who else been here? Like, Because everybody knew that I was there. She's like, nobody. Your family's come by, but nobody's here. And I'm like, no, listen, I've been making hospital visits for like 30 years. Like, that, that, that's not right. Who's been here? Nobody. I was like, oh. well, that's weird. Okay. No judgment. Just, huh? Okay. Noted. Noted. <laughs> and uh, so, so I grab my little IV tree and I'm like naked in a hospital gown. So I'm like trying to close the back of it up as I go to the bathroom. Cause I'm like, I don't want any nurses to stumble. You know what I mean? Like I'm still not wanting anybody to stumble in their walk with the Lord. So I'd go to the bathroom and I'm looking at, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, and I'm like, I've lost like 30 pounds. So I'm, I'm not, I'm about a buck 80 right now. And, and stout. Um, and you were, you were in a coma for what? Three days, right? Yeah. I was unconscious for three days. Yeah. On the third day I did rise again. Just so, just so we're all clear on that. Yeah. I, it, it's a weird thing. Listen, it is what it is. You know, you know what I mean? And, um, I'm like 125 pounds and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, this is it. This is the, this is the legacy you leave your son. He will never know you and you died just being a yes man. That's it. That's, that's it. And I, I can remember leading my best friend's funeral and his son was four and he was sitting in the front row and I stopped the service because I've known all these guys. We all went to high school together. Like I've known him for 20 years. I'm like, I'm stopping this and I'm getting down off this pulpit and I'm going to go talk to his son. And I did which is very emotional for everyone there. I don't, I just, I, I, I just felt like that's what, and I just thought to myself, like, 
Who's who's gonna who's going to talk to my son? And are they gonna get off the pulpit? Are they gonna go hold him like I did? Like, is he just gonna sit there? And it was in those moments that I recognized like something's gotta give. Nobody's coming to save you. And so you either drown or you take the mess of this shipwreck and you build something else out of it. And so I asked myself the question, which is now, you know, the, the fundamental question of everything that we do, which is what needs to die in me to become the man that I said that I'd be. And I've been on a journey <clears throat> for the past, what, seven years answering that question every day. I don't get it perfect every single day, but over the past seven years, we've, we've uh, cultivated a little bit of a movement. We've got about, you know, a little over 4,000 men all around the world answering that question on a daily basis. Uh, we've got a few different ways that you can connect with me to, to answer that question. Um, on the backside of that, now I travel the country, I speak, uh, I help entrepreneurs and leaders and founders and CEOs and pastors answer that question and recognize that you can't continually pour from an empty cup and that the, the greatest gift that as fathers that we can give our kids is not to be doormats for them, but to actually build the greatest, most resilient version of ourselves, the strongest physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially, to show them what's possible. It's one thing to tell your kid, like, you can be anything. Oh, yeah? Well, then why do you hate your job and you're 30 pounds overweight? Why do you and mom not get along? Right? Like, my parents got divorced when I was a kid, and I, they, they, we've never been in the same room together. We've never shared a meal together. I've never shared a meal with my parents. Ever. Wow. Not together. And my, my son's mom grew up the same way. And her husband, the same way. So we decided to do something different. So you'll see we're all together all the time. My wife and her, like, uh, actually, they have a girls' night tomorrow night. <laughs> and we watch their kids. We're always together. We do birthday parties together. We do holidays together. We're, we're just always together. And it does make sense to a lot of people, which is fine, um, because for us, we're, we're writing a new story, and we're healing all of our hearts as we create one family that, that, that our kids know. And right. <clears throat> so now, you know, again, I travel, I speak, uh, I sit on the board of a few companies, uh, so now I, I'm pretty heavy in the consulting space in mergers and acquisitions, growth scale of companies, and an exit of those companies. And uh, it's been a it's been a lot of fun, and so we've we've been able to answer the financial question. I don't worry about money anymore, um, which is very that's an interesting proposition when you come from where I come from. Um, there's not many who have what I have or able to be as generous as I am, and um, I set the standard every day in the best ways that I know how, which means that I have to be very very clear on who I am and what I want, be very clear on who God is calling me to be, and to step in that through daily action every single day. And so I am a product of, of what I teach. And every day is a gift. And I don't take any of it for granted. Uh, I don't need motivation. I don't need cool videos on YouTube. I don't, I don't need any of those things because I've lost too many people that won't ever breathe again. So I don't, I don't waste the breath that I have. So that's me in a nutshell. Well, thanks for walking us through your story and being uh, so transparent too, because I think that that's yeah. something we've talked a good amount about is, you know, men feel like they can't own up to like, hey, I'm really struggling with this or that. Yeah. Like, we, we're all fed this lie that like, you just got to be perfect all the time, regardless sure. of your profession. That's kind of like this, maybe, maybe it's an American phenomenon, but you know, 
I was raised very similar to believe similar things, but yeah. given all you've been through, given all the men you work with, given the, the travel you do and seeing all these different environments and different people, you know, across different professions and things like that, what do you think, given that perspective, um, is the biggest challenge facing fathers today, specifically, maybe men in general, and then maybe fathers? Men are just weak. Real talk. They're weak. No resolve. Not really had to fight for anything outside of the frame between their ears. Uh, we get emasculated on a daily basis. I do believe there's an attack on traditional masculinity, on the nuclear family, on faith and spirituality and serving God and believing in God and standing for God and standing for virtue and standing for ethics. Right. It's we celebrate dad bods. We we don't push towards physical resiliency and excellence. We are given salaries so that our dreams can go to be buried. And there's not really strong men to look to to hold that frame and to hold that resolve. And we settle. Men settle. We settle for our fear. We settle for our apathy. We settle for this is as good as it's going to get. This was good enough for my family, so it's going to be good enough for me. This is what all my friends from high school have done for the past however many years. So I don't want to go past them because I don't want them to think I'm better than them. I don't go past my parents because I don't want to create some sort of weird juxtaposition there. So we settle and we squander the gifts and we squander the talents that God has given us because we don't dare press into what could be because we have to confront what is. And so we become a culture that relies too heavy on feelings. People ask me, like, are you happy? Like, I don't know. I'm sometimes like, are you sad? I don't know. Sometimes, but I just am. I am me. I, I, I am a, I am who I say that I am. And I'm the product of the habits and the structures that I put in place to create the confidence of doing the things and becoming the man that I say that I am. Period. Most men won't do and we don't have the accountability. We don't have the frameworks, right? right? Which is why Roundtable exists. Roundtable exists to give the frameworks, not to just build big business. You should. Every man should long and desire to be financially successful. Make as much money as you can. Well, isn't that kind of selfish? Yeah, well, it takes a period of selfishness to live a life of selflessness. You can tell me that money doesn't solve most problems, and I will tell you that you're broke because money does actually solve 99.8% of problems in your life. And again, so the people in the back can hear, please. Right? Like, it, it won't solve all of your problems, but being broke won't solve any of them. Other than you making a martyr out of the complacency of burying the gifts that God's given you because it's more comfortable for you than confronting your complacency and your weakness. Period. Yeah. So in our, in our society like celebrates complacency. Dude, we celebrate it all over the place. Yeah. Right? Like I'm arrogant because I'll take a picture with my shirt off and I look like a GI Joe. But you know what the coolest part about that is? Not the fact that uh my wife wants to rip my clothes off every day, which will lead to a, a next level of confidence that most of you are not aware of. That's amazing. What's the most amazing is that I, I am at my son's school every single week. I, I'm, I now lead what we call tiger dads. I lead all of the men in my son's school, all the dads, and helping to get them involved in the school system and to set a standard. And they have access to our curriculum and all the things that we do and that we're a part of. But the best part 
The best part is that when I walk in my son's school, everyone knows me. They all think I'm a superhero. You've heard of, you've heard of Batman. And for those of you listening that haven't yeah. like done any research, I'm covered in tattoos. Like I'm just one big old walking billboard of skin. Big old down. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but they call me tap man. I love it. And they legit think I'm the, I, I don't look like other dads. I don't drive what other dads drive. I don't have like I have a level of confidence. Now, understand charisma and confidence are two very different things. You can be highly charismatic. I was for my entire 20s and had zero confidence. I am now confident because I don't rest on the words of others to confirm who it is that I say that I am. My confidence is built on being the man who I say that I am and doing the things that I know to do based on what it is that I say that I want. And I set a standard for my son and for my family, for my stepson every single day, period. And so when I walk in that school, when I, I'm not the dad who's 30 pounds overweight barking at my kid at wrestling practice about what he should be doing, I'm on the mat with him. I'm on the baseball diamond with him. I'm smoking those kids, which is good. They should see a man who is in control of his physical presence. And here's the thing about physical presence and something that a lot of weaker men will hate on guys like you who are in shape or guys like George, who, you know, are ripped. Uh, that's a compliment to you, George. Enjoy it while you get it. Um, I would say that Never going away, brother, the beauty never going away. of having a physique. You can't buy a physique. You can buy everything in life, but you cannot buy a physique. Mm -hmm. That is earned. Yeah. And I think that's the most amazing thing about it is the people that hate it the most are the ones who aren't willing to earn it. Yeah. And the thing is, is if you're so it's just disrespectful to be given the opportunity to have an able body, a body that works. And you disrespect it. You disrespect the gift that God's given you. I was speaking in um, Cleveland uh, like three weeks ago. And I was sitting at a table by myself at my hotel eating some dinner. I was eating plain chicken and rice. And uh, not that that's some badge of honor. It's just I eat the same things whether I travel or don't. Like I just... I can always eat the same things. Yeah, I'm a creature of habit. I know what works for me and I don't deviate from it. It's just how my brain works. It's 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 what it's what works for me. And this dude, like, so I talk about this like being respect, like don't disrespect the gift guys. Bro, a a dude rolls up to me in a wheelchair. And he's like, hey man. And I'm like, what's up? I don't know. Like, I'm fine talking to anybody. Like, what's up? He's like, I just want you to know, dude, I appreciate how you respect your body. I would give anything to have legs like yours that work. I'd look just like you. Dude, I lost it. I I like I wept. Because the first time, like, I've actually that was like unscripted, like reciprocation. It felt like a real Jesus moment to me. That we are. We're so dis like you're disrespectful with the ideas that God's given you. You're disrespectful with the marriage and the union that God's given you. You're disrespectful with the kids that God's blessed you with. 
like I think of the parable with the the servants and the talents, right? And like it's one hundred percent the one who took it and multiplied it, right? Hey, my my good and faithful servant, right? But then one just buried it in the ground, and it's like yeah, it's, it's so applicable to life, and it, it's I think it's even more applicable nowadays because we live in the most comfortable era of human beings, right? We we don't have an in history. Right. We, we, right. we've not, we've, I mean, we've had a few, a few wars, but they were not the same kind of wars that our grandfathers and great grandfathers fought. We've not been through a depression. Yeah. We went through 08 and that was tough, right? Like we're in the middle of a little bit of a recession right now, but we've not had, imagine being so comfortable and complacent in your life that we now have to fight about genders. Imagine being so weak soft that the hardest part, that the hardest part of your day is going to the gym and hashtag paying your dues. The only dues you're paying are to the to the freaking gym that you go to that's air conditioned and posh and probably has a sauna in the changing room. Like, are you you paying your dues? You're taking care of your body. You're not treating it like trash and like a garbage disposal. And th that's silencing the inner bee. That's that's doing hard things. What a joke. Imagine how fragile your life must be. That that's the hardest part of your day. I get up early because I got to silence the inner voice. Really? Wow. What what a gift to masculinity you are. <laughs> Go bury a baby and come back and tell me. Go hold your sibling's hand as they die and tell me. Go watch your family be ripped apart because of the piece of trash that you are that you can't confront because you're so weak and afraid of letting people down that you can't say no to anyone. But in the process, you say no to everyone that matters. I did it. And it almost killed me. Tell me. Please tell me about how hard it is to go to the gym and lift some weights. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's exactly <laughs> no, the problem, right? Since the things that should be standard, you know, just base expectations, yeah. um, you know, they're like celebrated as these. Like, so just to give this an example, when my buddy showed up to his unit, you know, he just gradu graduated ranger school. So he was all feeling all great about himself. You know, it's a, for those who don't know, it's a very difficult school on leadership. I failed it. <laughs> so he showed up and they said, good job, Lieutenant. You did exactly what's expected of you. Now get to work. And he was like, whoa. But that's because you're surrounded by a bunch of, you know, that that is the expectation to mm -hmm. be more. So we live in this culture of like, even slight effort is like, oh, you're so special. And it's like, no, man, like that's, you. Sh everyone should be doing that. But mm -hmm. I, I cut Brandon off. I think Brandon was about to ask you a question, Cody. Oh, no, that's fine. So, you know, you've, you've gone through clearly so much death and, and, and trauma. Um, and I know there's other guys that are probably in the same boat. Sure. So my question to you is how did you go about healing yourself through this? And how did, how did you, um, what had to die in you first? Ego. Insecurity. Confronting all the things that I said that I was that I wasn't. Mm. Trying to be all things to all people. And so it started very, very simply. 
I, I mean, I looked for some sort of program to guide me through it. I wasn't really hip on the personal development scene. Like I didn't know anything about it. Like, you know, I, I traveled leading worship, speaking and being a pat, like from Oklahoma, sure. that, that world wasn't for me. Like I didn't know it, like I know it now and being in the middle of it. I mean, there were like a couple, you know, like Kirk Cameron way, the master books. And I'm like, this is so Reese's pieces of vanilla Jesus, like this ain't going to cut it. This, I don't, I don't need, like, it wasn't a conversation of like, well, you just need to pray through it. Do I, is that what I need? No, I just, I just need to pray through it. You're going to pray for me. Is that what you're going to do? God's got a plan for all this. You can take that plan and I'll tell you, we can stick it. That's where I was at. Like I did all the right things. I gave my, like, I gave all of my life and time. I gave my, I, I sacrificed my marriage on the altar of this. And I'm sacrificing people now on the altar of this. At least that's what it felt like. And man, I, I listen, I, I tried to run so far from God. And I did. No, like, again, no good debauchery stories or anything. I just, just like, I'm going to focus on me. Hmm. And no matter how hard I ran, and listen, I studied theology for 12 years academically. I, I Apologetics are my jam. So I can prove Jesus in the Bible as much as I can disprove it. And I can tell you every hole in scripture. And you get what you focus on. But I could not outrun his grace. And I couldn't outrun the story of the prodigal. And while I could, I could over intellectualize holes and historicity in historical approximation and other Near Eastern Mesopotamian stories, I couldn't, I couldn't outrun his grace and his love. And so I started making a list of all of my identity markers. I'm a man. I'm a provider. I'm a protector. I'm a leader. I'm not a husband right now, but I, I will be. I'm a father. I'm all these things. I'm an athlete. I'm an intellect. Okay, if I'm all these things, then what does that mean? And so I started making a list of not just how I felt about those things, but if I am these things, then what, what is that, what does that person do? If I'm a healthy father, what is a healthy father? What is a present father? Cause I had some markers of what a hardworking father was, but not an emotionally available one and not an affectionate one, which are all the things that I needed. I thought working so hard that we needed money. And so I focused really hard on making more money. The problem was, is it wasn't the money. It's just that my son had more stuff that I didn't when I was a kid, but he still had the emotional void. We do that. We think that one thing's going to solve it when really we just need to go back and look at like, what did we actually need? And who is God to me? Who is God outside of what I was raised to believe, what I was taught to believe, what I was paid to lead and teach? 
where is God in the middle of all this? And who is he to me? And I started writing all these, uh, I started writing all of these structures down. And if I am these things, then they have to be backed up by certain actions every single day. Because it's one thing to say something, but it's very different to actually do it. And so then I recognize, well, then it really doesn't matter how I feel about these things. If I say that I'm these things, part of the reason that I'm not confident is because I'm basing so much off of an emotional experience of feeling things. What can I just do on a daily basis? So I started putting frameworks and structures. And I started recognizing that a lot of men had a lot of frustration around actually being who they say they are and not really knowing how to clearly articulate it, let alone live it out. So that's how Embrace the Line started. It wasn't because I wanted to start some kind of program. I was like, I just, like, real talk, I don't know how crass we can be on this. I'm like, you call it a house cat. There's another word for a cat that I was being. Starts with a P. And I'm like, but there's a line inside of you. The line of the tribe of Judah. Why don't you step into that? Who would you be then? Who would you be if you rested in the promise of who God called you to be? Not trying to live up to an expectation you think God placed on you by creating you. Because potential is not something you live up to. It's a promise you live from. And it took me losing everything to figure that out. So who would you be? And that's where all of this started. And so then I started recognizing that, man, more men need this. And then it evolved from there. But for those listening, how did I get myself out of this? How did I, I, I literally looked at the emotions, the habits, the structures that were keeping me, the relationships, the environments that were keeping me from living into the potential that I, that I was created for. And I started eradicating them one by one, which meant that certain relationships had to go, certain friendships that I'd had for years, nothing against them. They're just keeping me where I was. Certain environments needed to go. That's why I stepped out of occupational ministry. I didn't step out of ministry because we're all in ministry. You believe in Christ, you're in ministry, period. But all that to say, I stepped out of occupational ministry because there were things that I needed to say. Some of them, some very colorful choice four-letter words to get people's attention. There were things that I needed to talk about with men's mental health and awareness. There were things that I needed to talk about, like men putting guns in their mouths. They aren't really cute on a Sunday morning when you're trying to get people to give. People come for hope, right? And there is hope. Absolutely, there's hope. But we, everybody wants to talk about the beauty of resurrection and everybody wants to talk about singing songs like, oh, take my life and let it be. You don't actually mean that. You don't actually mean that. Nobody wants that. I'll tell you, you don't want it because death is painful, but it's only in the confrontation of death and in the confrontation of the death of yourself and your ego and everything that you think that you want in this life, that resurrection can happen on the other side. Which is why we ask and answer the question every day of what needs to die in me to become the man that I said that I would be. Not because it's cute, not because it's great for a men's Bible study on a Sunday morning. You can take that and put it somewhere else too. It's We got to answer very real questions and death is messy. And death is pain. Death is agony. There is a stench to death that you cannot overcome outside of the blood of Christ and the resurrection that happens on the side of it. You can sag me out of a pulpit, but you will never take the pastor out of me. I, I love that you had mentioned um, that death is painful because that's one of the things that in my own journey, um, 
I had to realize that rooting out anything like I made a list myself and anything that was not good for me, that was anchoring. I call them soul anchors. Yeah. So any, any of my soul anchors that were occurring, I had to root them out. And when you root something out, it is so painful, whether it's emotional or physical. And, you know, that was going to the gym that was eating stuff that tasted like leaves off of a tree. But hey, you know, it was making me healthy. It was letting go of friends that were not good for me. Yeah. It, and that's super hard. That was because you're basically killing off that that person in your yeah. life willingly. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I 100 percent agree that you have to be willing to kill things at the root. Yeah. Because uh, if you go surface level, you're just it's just going to come back mm -hmm. and you're you're, you're going to stay at a, a complacent level, as you said earlier. So, yeah, yeah man putting things to death is super tough but man when you get through it it is so rewarding and it is it is it's the grass is greener because you watered it you sure know? and, well, and so yeah I, I love that you said that i just wanted to wanted to and if, that. and if you'll remove the emotional constraints and you'll focus on the habit structure of being very objective and analytical in your life towards what it is god's calling you to and who you're called to be you'll start to find that when things do come become complacent, you recognize that you're settling. And so there is, it's, it's not a longing for death by any means. I don't, I don't want to become like sadistic or masochistic in this conversation. That is not it at all. But there does come a point where you become so accustomed to the evolution of your soul and its progress that if you're not in that state of feeling pulled, you wonder, has God removed the conversation? Because if God has a plan for you, the enemy does as well. And the bigger the plan from God, the bigger the plan of the enemy. And so I don't ever want to get to the place where God stops saying, well, have you considered my servant? Have you considered him? You won't touch him. Watch. You've tried. You will not touch him. So... That actually uh, segues into something I wanted to talk about. So, so there's a few things you've, you've said. We'll go into the first thing. Um, so you, you spoke a little bit about looking in the mirror. And, and can you just elaborate a little more for the fathers and the dads and the men out there? Uh, a little bit about your, your view of a mirror and, and what, it, what it can do and what it means to a man. Physically? Well, Going into it a little more about what you you spoke uh, previously about looking into the mirror and what you see and you know how you can use that to change things in your life and yeah the mirror doesn't lie the mirror is very objective now we can have the conversation of dysmorphia and the conversation of not seeing yourself as you are because of experiences and circumstances. That's a different conversation and one that I think is meaningful. And so I don't want to dissuade that, but I will say there are a few things that don't lie. A scale doesn't lie. A mirror doesn't lie. Your bank account doesn't lie. Right? And so when you look at the mirror in the mirror, there for so much of my life, one, I didn't know who I was looking at. I was constantly judging myself based off of what I thought other people saw when they looked at me. And for a lot of my life, I was just disgusted. Not because I hated 
what God had created. I just hated myself. I hated that I was weak. I hated that I didn't understand how every man, again, you would never know. Like I was so charismatic and engaging and I had seemingly all the right answers. Pretty good on the fly. I could, I could quick response, anything. And I couldn't, I just, but I couldn't see what other people saw. Because people would tell me how blessed up. People would tell me how great it was. People, I would just, and I, but it's like anything, man, that the, the, the dopamine hit of that affirmation would just get less and less and less and less and less and less. And you look in the mirror and you just hate. I just hated who I was because I felt like I was living a lie, but I didn't know what the lie was. I, I had no idea. So then what do you do? Well, at night, shrink a little. Not because I wanted to, not because I particularly liked it, not because I particularly wanted to get drunk, not because of anything. Other than like, I just wanted to go to sleep. And I couldn't shut my, I couldn't shut it off. I couldn't shut my brain off. And I, there was this complex feeling of like, if somebody calls at 2 a.m., I got to be the one. I got to be the one that answers. I can't let people down. Which then you go back to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you're like, you're pathetic. But I don't want to let people down. Very interesting proposition. And so it was, it was actually in the hospital when I, when I went to the mirror and I saw myself with fresh eyes, uh, not to be all biblical and scriptural, but I, I, I saw myself with fresh eyes for the first time. And I saw myself in the way that I felt like my son would see me. And so from then on, it became a conversation of how do I fall in love with who I am? Well, one, I got to define who this guy is. And I, I have to define what I actually want and what I want to stand for and what I have no space for anymore. And in doing so and in repeating this on a daily basis, I'm the most confident man you'll meet. Whether you like me or not is your problem because I am who I say I am. And when people ask me now, like, how do you measure success? Like, I could give you 100 metrics to measure success by. And through my 20s, it all revolved around church metrics and altar calls and salvations and offerings and givings and new members and residuals and how cool we could be with worship and how we could increase a budget and build a building and do all the things. And now it's interesting now, now, that, I, <laughs> now that I don't worry about money. Success is just that. Go, go ask my son who I am. Go ask my son who Jefferson's are. Go ask my son's teachers about him. Ask Sarah about me. Ask my son's mom about me. Ask her kids, because I got four other kids. Ask them about me. Go ask my wife's husband about me. Go ask his mom about me. That'd be all you need to know. Yeah. So that's, oh, sorry. Go ahead, George. If you want to go? I was just going to say, like, obviously, you know, vision is so important. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people mistake a plan for vision. 
Well, and without uh, vision, what? Without vision, people what? Without vision, people perish. Yeah. So, what are what are some practical ways? You know, not everyone's going to end up septic in a hospital. So, how can dads out there today? Yeah. Kind of wake up. Yeah, I, I certainly hope not. <laughs> um, but in reality, guys, listen to this and uh, think, okay, all right, I need to, I need to reevaluate things. So what's Cody Jefferson's guide to get started on being honest with yourself and then cutting away the things that are holding you back? Well, I will tell you. Or the nuggets. Obviously, we don't want to give away all your stuff. No, I'll tell you. Today and today alone, when you sow a seed of $1,333.33, which is a biblical number of prosperity, and you hold your hand to it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some people are going to listen to this like, this feels very familiar. This feels joking. He's making fun of it. Am I going to have to hold my hand towards this podcast right now? Am I going to have to rebuke him and he's my guest? or? No, we're not, we're not inviting Joel Osteen onto the show. No, so it, it's it's not as man. We want to make it really complex because that gives us an excuse to stay stuck. I would say that for anyone listening, if you find yourself in a conversation with yourself where where you recognize that maybe you're operating at sixty percent, and you know there's at least forty percent more in the tank. If you recognize that you feel like you're living a lie. If you recognize that you're not living into who you could be and that in vision, listen, we talk about vision like it's some grand thing. It's not complex inside of you. You know who you're called to be. And there's a consternation fighting against things that you've been raised to believe or ways in which maybe you were raised and certain patterns that happened as a kid and certain experiences you've had. Those don't have to define you. But I will say that it is very hard to read the label of a bottle from the inside. And so one of the ways that I would encourage you is to, to seek that clarity in your life is to find someone. And this doesn't have to be something like doesn't have to be a coach or a consultant or somebody that you pay. I have mentors in my life that have 40 years on me, but they can see things so objectively and so clearly because there's a seasoning that happens in life that you just can't manufacture. You can be really honest with yourself and still not be telling the truth because you've gotten so wrapped up in the way things have always been. Finding one or two wise, discerning voices that can help you seek that clarity is monumental. I have mentors in my life that, that have been so monumental in, in helping me navigate who I'm becoming. And they, they do have everything that are, they have amazing families, amazing kids that are grown now. Most of them are in private equity or in some sort of funding that they, they do very well. They do very well in life, but they're great stewards of those resources. And God continues to multiply that. They're all believers. And there's a, they, they could probably buy small countries, but they're the most humble, generous, there you are in a world full of here I am people. And they're who they're kind of a lighthouse for me, but inside of that, 
Again, who are you? Define the key roles of your life. We have three basic primary roles as men. We protect, we provide, and we lead. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's what we do. And inside of that, there are some metrics. And inside of that, there are some keystones that would lead you to believe someone is successful in those that there's markers. So getting very clear on where you're deficient, hold no judgment towards yourself. That doesn't help anything. That judgment and those emotions only serve to keep you stuck because your brain doesn't care about what you say that you want or who you want to become. The brain only cares about confirming patterns to be true. That's why you do the same things that your parents did, your dad did, and everybody else did. That's why you find yourself hanging out with the same people because it's familiar. Your brain's doing a hundred other things, pumping blood, keeping stabilizer muscles so you can sit up and stand and walk, blinking, breathing, all the weird stuff that we do. And inside of your brain, it's just trying to confirm itself right. That's what it does, confirmation bias. And so in that, remove your feelings, remove the emotions associated with who you've been, and clearly articulate, okay, who do I want to be? And what habits are going to get me there? I can tell you, you want to make millions of dollars? You can do it. 2016, I was making 30 grand a year as a pastor. Now, I sit on the board of eight companies and I do just fine. You want to get in shape? You want to, you want to be just a solid man physically? I, 2017, I was 125 pounds. Now I'm 180 pounds ripped. You want to have a healthy marriage, a marriage that's on fire. It's going to come down to habits. A lot of us didn't see that growing up and didn't experience that. It doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means you do something differently. It's going to feel weird. Maybe you didn't have an affectionate father. You didn't have that affectionate male in your life in a healthy way. It doesn't mean you can't be that for your kids. All the ways, now listen, that doesn't mean that we become codependent to our kids to heal all of our brokenness. That's not the case. But you do get to be everything for your kids that they need, which means that you need to be aware of what they need, which means you need to be involved. You need to and be so, a present father. A present father. That's it. <laughs> I had to. Hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to also just kind of add on to, to what you're saying. Um, I think a lot of people are surprised by the fact that when you finally start to try and set down a path of mm -hmm. improvement and achieving your goals, um, you know, in line with your vision, like you're describing, it may be some of the people closest to you try to hold you back or question you at every turn. May? So that, they 100% will. They 100% will. Yeah. They 100% will. Because yeah, that, it's, it was what we were talking about earlier, right? Our culture embraces mediocrity. If you try to do more than, you know, if this is the standard and you try and exceed the standard, people are like, well, why would you do that? You can just yeah, pass what the test. Doing? That's good. You enough, that? you know? Yeah. So that, that mentality, you know, you don't have to explain it. Well, think of it this way, of, man. Think just, of it this way. Do, right? Yeah. Think of it this way. Like we're all, we're all in a movie and okay. you're the lead character of your movie. Everyone is. And we're all playing supporting roles. And so long as you're growing in some capacity, you can appreciate when other people are growing as well. You allow their character to evolve. But for some, specifically those of us, like if you've been through a divorce and maybe like you've been divorced and on the backside of that, you got really healthy like I did and a lot changed in your life. I did as well. It's very hard 
at times um, for the people that, especially like, you know, the, maybe the person that you were married to, especially if you have kids together, very hard for them to see you in a different capacity because that means that their story has to change and then they have to evolve. Very hard for people who maybe you've grown up with and they always knew you as this person 20 years ago and now you're evolving. The problem with that is now their whole story has to change. And for some people, like that story can't change because it will confront everything in their personal journey that needs to evolve and change. And some people, they just, they can't get there. And that's okay, which is why walking in love sometimes is walking in distance because the way for us to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, you don't want to change. You don't want to evolve. You do not want to go in a different path. You, you, that's totally fine. But that means that, that this relationship, it's like a string. If we're both growing, then then we both get to inch up the string together. But that string's just going to get tension on it and tension and tension and tension. If I'm going one way and you stay where you are, and two things are going to happen. Either that string is going to snap and it is going to be visceral and painful for both of us, or we can just recognize we need to cut this right now. And I love you and I'm for you, but I'm going to go this path and we're going to sever this right now. If you need anything, you just, you holler. That's something we said, you reach out, but I got to go this way. And whether you recognize it, believe in it, or you think I'm just full of it. I had family members who just thought when I stepped out of occupational thought, literally thought I was having a mental breakdown. Oh, Cody. Yeah. He went through a lot of phases in school. He, he went from this group to this group, to this group. I did. And that's part of my superpower. Back then it was an insecurity and I was just trying to figure out where I belong. Now I recognize, man, I can hang out with anybody. And uh, so this is another thing. But when he fought, when he messes up this time, we won't be there to save him. And he's going to have to fall hard. I read those words from family. I read them. You brought up a, a good point, man. So, you know, to, to answer the question that George asked, and, and to kind of segue into the mirror thing, you have to, you know, to, to embrace the lion, you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself those questions, but you have to be willing to make those changes. Absolutely. And that's the question that these fathers need to ask. You need to look yeah. yourself in the mirror because you can't lie to yourself or you just look no. stupid. You're looking, you're looking in the mirror, lying to yourself and you feel like a total well, idiot. Dude, that's literally why, that's why I started Roundtable. It was because I, I speak at a lot of masterminds and they're awesome. Like they're great. I just, what I recognize is like one business strategy and execution is awesome. And I speak at a lot of those and those are great. I speak at a lot of them where there's a lot of like the draws, like get your pictures with all these cool celebrities that don't really care about you. Like, and, and then it's always weird. Like, why is that your profile picture now? Like it's cool that you're taking a picture with master P, but like, I don't think he knows you. And it's been a long time since we listened to his music. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's the flex that you think it is or like Rick Ross, like, and, and listen, I love Rick. Like I love all these people, but I'm like, I don't know that this is a flex. Like, so we started, I started round tables. I'm like, we need a place for good men who want to become great and need the support because this journey is isolating. When you decide to go all in on yourself, in every area and you decide to break generational curses that you didn't even know you were responsible for breaking and you decide that you want to be someone different for your kids and you want to be someone different for your spouse and you'll be someone different for your community that becomes very isolating 
So how do we create a brotherhood that holds each other up and gives, gives the frameworks to be able to make that happen on a daily basis with the accountability, the community, the coaching, without all the unnecessary bits? Yeah. Well, that kind of segues a little bit into uh, something that we actually spoke to. We kind of went back and forth on the post. You had, you had a reel on your page. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say it was an analogy about the fruits of life and dead branches. Can you go into that for us? Oh, yeah. So, and, and listen, that's just a, one of the things that I've recognized is that all the ways in which I was being prepared in ministry for what I do now, you don't really see it at the time. You can't see the forest for the trees. And I would, I would have every man that's listening to this consider there have been ways in which you've been cultivated and seasoned that maybe you take for granted right now. You can't see because you can't see the greatness that's inside of you because there's just so much, there, there's just so much murkiness in the water. And again, for, for us, for the men like us, we recognize that there are certain ways in which we're being honest, but we're not telling the truth. And so having that accountability so that we can hold each other to, hey, like this isn't useful to you and who you're becoming. This is a dead branch. You know, my I, I grew up with a, a grandfather who was a woodworker and uh, we had a quarter acre garden. So I didn't grow up watching TV. I didn't want to do all those things. I didn't have a computer. So I went to college. Like when I say we lived a simple life, we lived a simple life. Uh, but man, we just always had our hands in the dirt or we had our hands in an engine, we were always doing something. And I learned a lot about gardening from my grandparents. And I didn't really realize until I was older what a metaphor for life that that was. Because in gardening, you're consistently pruning. And you can have a really beautiful tree, but in order for that tree to grow and to grow holy, you have to cut dead branches off of it which you don't want to because, man, that's kind of part of, the, part of the charm of the tree. But in order for it to produce more fruit, you have to cut off that which is dead and not useful. So what are those thoughts? Because a thought, like in a belief, a belief is nothing more than a thought that you hold on to for a long period of time. You know, I, I, it doesn't mean it's true. It just means it's true to you because you hold on to it. Right? Like, think about for those of you that are married, think about some of the ways in which your wife maybe thinks about herself because, and you're like, that's not true. You are beautiful. You're amazing. You, like, you're a smoke show. And I, like, I miss you the day, the, the second you walk out the door. But because of things maybe they've been told or the way that society has viewed beauty or something else, they believe these things about themselves that are not true but it's true to them because it's a thought that they hold on to long enough that becomes ingrained in them. So part of our role as, as husbands is to help tr trim those dead branches and to lead effectively so that our kids see what whole, beautiful, intimate love looks and feels like and what confidence feels like and what it is to be a man who leads well. So at any rate, we're constantly looking at the things that are not useful and as painful as it is, because remember, death is painful. You got to cut those things away. So what are the beliefs that need to be cut away? What are the relationships that are dead branches? 
yeah, cool. You've been going to the same bar for the past 20 years with the same dudes talking about the same stuff and sports that doesn't matter, not knocking sports, whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, or you're playing video games or something else, you know, getting the dopamine of fighting for a team that isn't real that you think that you're a part of because you wear somebody else's name on your back, right? Playing video games, mocking up false victories that stack to nothing when you could be out doing something meaningful with your life. What are the dead branches? Am I saying you need to get rid of video games? If they're a vice, yeah. Am I saying you need to get rid of sports? If it's a vice, yeah. Am I saying that you need to get rid of old friends that don't move you forward? If it's a vice, yeah. Am I saying you need to stop drinking? If it's a vice, yeah. Am I saying you need to stop eating certain things? If it's a vice, yeah. Am I saying that you need to actually believe that there's more to your life and this isn't as good as it gets? Yeah. Am I saying that your, your marriage can get better than it already is? 100%, always. Am I saying that your relationship with your kids can get better than it is now? Always. Am I saying that your relationship with God can get deeper than it is now? Always. And so many of this, so much of this has nothing to do with the emotional experience and the feeling of the thing, but the adherence to the discipline of the thing. Spirituality in and of itself was never supposed to be some charismatic movement of waving hands around. Go to a, for me, go to a John Mayer or Coldplay concert. You'll feel the same things you do as a at a charismatic megachurch service. No, back in the day, it was about the practice. It was about the daily death to self and the ritual of practice. That's how you knew what somebody believed was the fruit of their life. So where's the fruit? And we focus on the fruit. We focus on what is producing the fruit in our lives. And we continue to nurture and water that while we cut away the branches that are no longer meaningful and useful. This is not a conversation of how you feel about it. This is not a conversation of good or bad. This is not a conversation of righteousness and sin. This is just a conversation of what's useful. It's a conversation of what's useful towards getting what it is that you say that you want, which means you got to define it. Because dead branches can look alive. Truth. And it's it's speaking of truth, you know, you you made a very good point. Someone else's truth, you know, they may not see what you see. It's their, their belief. Their yep. belief. And something that no one is ever gonna tell a, a new father. And I'm going through this right now. My so my wife, uh, very fit, always been great shape. Um after our son was born. She still kind of had semi-abs. I'm like, geez, man, she's a monster. But she kept in her gym, and then she started gaining weight. And, man, she lost her identity. No, this is something that nobody tells anybody. Oh, yeah. Been, fathers, if I can give you any advice on this, when your wife has your first child, you need to keep your eyes completely open. And you need to make sure that, like Cody said, you're there to lead because – this is the hardest part in their life, whether how beautiful and amazing it is or not. They're going to lose their identity because they've never been a mother. They don't know what they're doing. They feel lost. No. They feel inadequate. Well, and physically, uh, have, their body just I was going to say like physically hormones, nine months of hormones that they've been building yeah, up to a moment. Absolutely. So now they're totally depleted. Well, and just like, you know, my wife uh, and uh, I won't make a reel out of this, but um, you know, she has uh, stretch marks. She hates them. She's so self-conscious about them. And I'm like, this, this is the trophy of the son that you have. Like, what a gift. Now, I get it. 
I, well, I don't Absolutely. actually, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand because I've never been there. Um, I, I've, I've never given birth. I've never carried a child. There are things that women go through that we do not understand or experience. And there are things that we go through that they do not understand or experience. And just to be clear, right. only women can get pregnant. Yes. With women there. with ovaries and a uterus, not, not persons, who call women. themselves women, but actual biological women with the chromosomal makeup and the reproductive organs necessary to carry a child. Absolutely. Just so we're clear. Yeah. And it, it's so what I, to my point, my wife got diagnosed right before our second uh, child was, um, you know, brought into creation with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. Oh, yeah. And she was already, you know, postpartum having, you know, problems with the way she felt and the way she thought she looked, even though she looks phenomenal still. And so I, I, I guess, you know, what you said, that kind of segued into something I just wanted to warn dads about, because not a lot of dads talk, men do not talk. And we need to talk more about, you know, the things that are to be expected as, as, cause you're, you're navigating your own waters as a father, you're trying to figure yeah. out where you need to go. And then you're not just navigating your waters, your kid and your wife or kids are on the boat with you and you're the captain and, uh, it's. It's scary, man, but you need to be, like you said, you have to have that mask on. You have to be able yeah, to be there for that, that, that person. To lead with those things, though, too, it's like it, you have to resist the urge to try and fix. It's not it's not a fix, you know, moment. It's a it's Don't try to patience and understanding. And, you know, you can encourage, um, but you're not going to magically just wave a wand and or grab a wrench and get it done, you know? Yep. <laughs> There's you know, lots of love, lots of delicate um interaction which is something that's foreign to us but that's what she'll need in those moments um and it's probably you doing the research of you know other women who can maybe be a little bit more direct on the things because they're moms too or you know what i mean it, it's things yeah. like that where you go take the action to build the support around your wife when she's vulnerable because you're not going to have all the answers and it's not really something you can fix as a man but she needs to know that you're covering her and supporting her and so that's one of the ways you can take Absolutely. leadership into action is by like finding, you know, whatever the situation is, finding the solutions for her, the other people that can help with it. Yeah. If, just to piggyback on that. Also recognize that if you listen to this and you get all fired up, right. And you just get all hot in your trousers and you're going to go change the world. Now I got things to do and I'm going to get in the gym and I'm going to, read books and I'm going to do all the, like, I'm, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to show Cody what the man is. Cool. Do that. that awesome. But also recognize that once you do that, don't create an unrealistic expectation for your wife that she needs to do the same thing. And don't get frustrated if you start down this path and she starts feeling like you're taking time away from her or the family, make sure that you prioritize effectively and understand that it is your responsibility to lead. And that does start with leading yourself. But just because you decide you want to go get yoked in the gym and go get your levels checked, make sure your testosterone is where it needs to be. And you're going to go save the world. Cool. You should, we need more men active in the conversation of what it is to be a man. Recognize that that doesn't mean your wife's just going to be all gung ho and start reading with you and go to the gym with you and all the things that you think she needs to do now, because now you're on the personal development kick. Just recognize that. 
I just get that all the time. Like, well, I'm doing this, and I don't know why my wife isn't. Bro, it's been a month. Well, yeah, okay. give her a minute. Let well, her and, and even one step further, she may push back on it because she's trying to test how true you are to your resolve. You know, like, yeah. is this really a man or is he going to buckle the second I say, well, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if he, if he can't handle my objection to him wanting to go to the gym or whatever and he buckles, yep. then how is he going to protect me? I mean, there's they, they don't intentionally do this to be manipulative. It's it's a self-preservation yeah, and, and, technique that women do you i feel like a, a strong woman is always testing her man i think that's healthy well and the, the other part of that is if you're focusing on your wife improving too you're not focusing on yourself enough mm -hmm. and one of the questions you guys were talking about listening and problem solving one of the number one things i can ad advise dads for a healthy relationship with your wife is one of the things i ask my wife when she's upset she needs emotional connection is do you want to be intentionally heard or do you want me to help you fix the problem? Yeah. We fix it together. Because nine times out of 10, she just wants to be heard. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple. And, and that, uh, that true, genuine listening, not to respond, but to hear. And just, just that must be really hard. And like navigate with her through her emotions. Like that's the real stuff that's really going to connect y'all on her part. Have like you that. seen the video of the, it's not about the nail? Yes. Yeah. So there's, oh, a, yes, yes. Yeah, right? like there's a nail in the middle Literally of her head. A giant nail. Yeah. And she's like, they just have this headache. And he's like, I, I, I think it might be the, I think maybe we pull the nail out of your head. It, it, she's like, it's not about the nail. You don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that must be really hard. And she goes, thank you for understanding. It is. But they want to be heard. I mean, yeah. You know. I mean, that's the thing. That's that's the, the deep root what, there. And it's also tough. Listen, man, I can't help that. Like, I'm, I'm usually right. I can't help that. So I'm not going to try and flex that superpower all the time. Got to, fellas, savor the flavor. You know what I mean? Like, let that let that rescue come in when it's necessary. I know we're all right all the time. Right. I get it. <laughs> let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, so one of the things we wanted to talk about, and I know with you leading the amount of men you lead and with the round table, what are the biggest challenges you think truly like just face fathers in like society uh, that you've, I know you've seen a lot of this, but like, what is it that really just kind of hits most? Um, I know we've kind of asked this question earlier, but like, I kind of wanted to double down on that a little bit. Like what? What what do you think in society is the biggest problem? Do you, you think it's like lack of fathers from the last few generations? I, I truly believe that that might be it. Um, or do you think it's the lack of masculinity or, you know? Well, I think, well, I mean, I don't think that's, I think that's one and the same. So, I mean, a lack of, a, a lack of active, present, healthy, strong fathers is a lack of what traditional masculinity is. And so when you remove masculinity from the conversation, we have a bunch of grown children who don't know how to be men, who don't know how to lead properly, who don't know how to stand in conviction, who don't know how to weather a storm effectively, who do not know how to create effective priorities, who don't know how to put themselves first so they become a martyr 
on the altar of what they think is best for their family, becoming yes men to their wives and not leading well, becoming yes men and doormats to their kids or just becoming emotionally absent. But also, I don't want to paint a picture of like hopelessness. I really... I think men are afraid to lead because they don't really know how. And it's not that like, I don't want to sit up here arrogantly and be like, and we've cracked the code on it, right? Because it's not a code to crack. This is not anything new. And sometimes it's, it's just going back to what is true and what is tried and again, everything that we do is not complicated. We take all the guesswork out of it, right? Like from on the physical side, like you get an app that tells you how to work out. It tells you what your calories and your macros need to be to build the body that you say that you want. We build out structures to construct your day in a way that makes sense. Now, where it gets tricky is we're still so navigated by emotion and we want it to feel a certain way. I can remember my grandfather, it was never about how he felt. It was never about that. It was always about being a man who stood for what it is that he believed and being who he said he was. He was stoic. Now you knew he loved you. And and like I think being a grandfather, like it allowed for a little bit more of like emotional intimacy. Like he wasn't that way with his kids. He wasn't that way with my dad, but he was with us. So you had the best of all the worlds, but this was a dude that like, I knew, like I was never fearful in any situation with him. Like I feel like that dude, even at like 70 years old could have smoked any of us. Like, I don't know. Like there's just something about him. Like huh, this dude's kind of, I think there's a killer in this guy. But he was also the guy that I would watch go to hospitals and make hospital visits as a deacon. Then it was a man that when 08 hit and the stock market collapsed, he went back to work and he worked until he died in 2013. Like, the, the, it was just you did what needed to be done. And there was a joy and a satisfaction in that provision and in that leadership. He always filled his cup up first. Like he was up incredibly early reading his word. Then he went and read the paper, drank a cup of coffee, and got to work. Like it was just, there was a, it was never about like, well, just how do I feel today? That wasn't the question. Men today are so, like, we're just soft. So that. Yeah. I, I just want to, push back a little bit, not on, back. not refuting what you said, but I think there is also a flip side to that coin where I think our society is actively trying to dissuade men from becoming what you just described. And so I think we live in an era where that is more existent than it's ever been. Whereas I think like your grandfather's generation, that was a little bit more the norm, I think, to, to be that way, not, not to take away from him. But I think now, like think about being, if you were like 15 right now, what, what do you have to look up to? our society that's what i'm saying like we yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist anymore 
Exactly. So, so that's, that's what we stand for. And that's the right. standard that we set every single day. And I set that standard in my life. And it's why I'm so active in my son's school. Like, do, I, do, I run eight companies. Yeah. People tell me like, well, I just don't have time. You do you not? You don't really, you don't, you don't have time. Yeah. Show me your schedule. And I'll show you what you value. Exactly. And so, you know, I was, I was at a PTA meeting with my son, my uh, son's mom and my wife, like we're all on the PTA together and it confuses everybody. Cause we're like holding their kids and people are like, wait, is that your kid? No, mine's that's it. Well, wait, but who's no, these are Courtney. Well, what? <laughs> it's great. And so, um, you make it but I recognize there's kids. so many kids. It, we're talking not that just have dads who aren't present like on a day-to-day basis, like at school or anything else, but like just don't have dads, period. Like fatherlessness is a very, like we want to talk about a real epidemic. It's fatherlessness. And you can be in the home with your kids and still be an absent dad. Yep. And I'm not here to say like, I'm fully present with my kid. I don't miss practices. I don't miss games. I don't miss events. I don't miss anything. I'll fly home early from speaking. I'll I say no to more events than I say yes to because it conflicts with my son's schedule. That's priority to me. I don't get that time back. I can make more money. That's fine. Yep. I don't get time back. And so it's a conversation of prioritization. And it's a conversation of what do you actually value? And people are like, well, it's really easy for you to say that. No, it's not. What? How is it easy? Like I'm literally having to build, I've built all of this. Like it's not easier because I don't have a, I don't have a cush job with a W2 that I get to go take sick days from. I don't get that. I don't have that. I don't have the benefits that you get with your salary. I don't have, like I've had to create all of that. I had all of that as a pastor. And then when I stepped out, like I still had all my bills and then added to that, I had child support. But on the backside, I didn't have my insurance, I didn't have my benefits, I didn't have my Cush 403B, which is like a 401k in the church. I didn't have it matching. I didn't have any of that. Get out of here with it's easier for people like me. Cop out. Again, fear and entitlement. It's a cop out. So we're at a PTA meeting and I'm like, there's no dads here. And Stats mom was like, yeah, well, there's nobody to lead them. And I'm like, well, that's a that's really unfortunate. She's like, well. You talk about it on your platform, you know, maybe you're going to do it. I was like, oh, you would. You you know exactly what to say for me. Like, So I literally called my assistant and I'm like, I need to, fr- I don't know how we're going to do it, but I need you to free up five hours a week for me because I'm saying yes to this because I can't say yes to all of these endeavors. And not say yes to this one that matters the most. I got to stand up for dads. And if if anybody's going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I have all the frameworks. We're, we're going to set a new standard for dads in this school district. Period. Don't have time. You make time. I love it. I will say anecdotally, I went, my, my daughter had her first school field trip this past school year. And I went to... Uh, you know, chaperone. I was like, man, I'm going to be the only dad. This is so lame. 
it was almost half dead. So I was like, really, I was really, I was like proud of dads. I was like, all right, guys, way to step up. So awesome. Also, I was really glad I wasn't the only guy on the whole trip. Um, but it was really awesome because you know, we talk about isolation. Yeah, I really didn't want to do this, but I was like, I made the time for it. Those guys now, like we like all hit it off really well. Homies. Because it's like, oh man, we're all, you know, yeah. we all kind of like, we're nervous we we're going to be the only one. So we kind of bonded over that. And anyway, so that's just, yeah. you know, I mean, make no but... mistake, dude, PTA moms love me. <laughs> yeah. I bet. That's. Oh, uh, well, well, I wanted to ask kind of one final question. We're, yeah. we're getting almost an hour and a half here. Um, very fun one. You know, what's your favorite part of fatherhood? What's the best thing about being a dad? My son is... He's such an extraordinary human. And not just because I'm his dad. Certainly, the ways in which we've cultivated growth in him has played a role into who he's become. And I firmly I, I see that. I see the fruit of presence and intentionality and living by a standard. But watching who he becomes and while also simultaneously seeing the the things in me that are also in him that like the affirmation and the he's an extrovert and he's highly charismatic and there's so much of me in him and now on the backside of healing that for myself being able to foster that in a way that's healthy and knowing what he needs because we have such a safe relationship, being able to speak life into him that I didn't even know existed as a kid, being able to grow with him because he teaches me as much about life and beauty and humanity and purpose and power and potential as I do him. It is the greatest gift of my life being being the dad to Stetson Foster. Everything else I do is tinsel. Everything else I do is icing on the cake. But being able, he, my son gives me the permission to be everything that God has called me to be. And in doing so, I reciprocate that permission to him to be everything that God has created him to be, not as an expectation to live up to, but as this beautiful promise that he gets to live from and through. That. Beautiful. I think, I think every dad can relate to that. It's just... It's those moments too, just like uh, 
the little things where they'll just come up and just, you know, totally unprovoked, just give you a huge hug and be like, I love you, dad. And it's like, all right, there's for guys who never become a dad, you're just absolutely, you'll never have anything close to that feeling. It's just the most immense. So real talk, like if I, if I just step off camera for a second, I love it right in front of my screen is this picture that's supposed to be him and I, he leaves them for me on my desk. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Those are, those are I love best. you so much, dad. I'll be writing notes on my remarkable tablet uh, for meetings and for calls and for trainings that I do. And I'll go do something and I'll come back and he'll have written notes to me on it. We have a code that we live by. Jefferson's are certain things. Right? We have our core values. And he made this at school. That hit the heart. And it says, the most important thing about my dad is that he loves me. He takes care of me. He is generous. He is kind. He is loving. He is strong. He is short. And he put that, you know what I mean? Like, you probably didn't need to put that in there, but he did. You know, it's fine. Whatever. I get it. And kryptonite. It's fine. <laughs> the most important thing about my dad is that he loves me and he shows me what's possible. That's great. Beautiful. I don't know what other motivation you need. Yeah. It's, it's nothing better than that. That's it. That's it. It is it. Yep. Which is an interesting, maybe maybe a follow up discussion for another time. But you know, should every man become a father? Because that perspective you gain is just so immense, right? But before that point, you think of everything in terms of self, and then you become a father, and you almost—it's inevitable. You have to start thinking beyond yourself at that point. Well, it wasn't Not a Jordan Peterson. Kid, but Jordan Peterson said that a man never becomes truly selfless until he becomes a father. He's a little bit more eloquent than me, I guess. <laughs> Brandon's well, kicking out that it gets Peterson. Yeah. Brandon's gonna <laughs> kick in and bring the Jordan Peterson out now. Well, no, there was actually another profound thing. It was um something along the lines of having your own son who's just like you. You get to see what it would have been like if you had been loved in your home environment growing up you get to be that loving environment for him and you get to see what it would be like. If that's a a, man, the contingency on that to every man listening, the contingency on that is that you have to do the work of confronting your pain and confronting your trauma. Because if you don't, and if you do not transform your pain, you will just transmit it to your child. Absolutely. I love that. If you don't transform, you'll transmit. Mm, but that's a good one. It just shows how deadly serious this is, right? It, yeah. You only get one shot. The other thing, too, that you, just to put it, you know, especially when they're really little, you think, oh, I've got all this time, you know, to, to, to be dad with them. If you count the number of birthdays that they're going to be home, the number of, you know, Christmases, just, just go tally down how many you've got left from where you are. I'm about halfway done. I just did the math on my daughter. And that's oh, it. dude. Steps so turn eight. Nine. I'm just halfway done with all of that already, and I'm like, "Whoa, yeah, you know, yeah." People, so people, uh, people ask me like, "What's your ten year plan?" I'm like, "Well, my son is eight, 
So I've got 10 more years with him for sure. Right. I've got five where he still thinks I'm a superhero. Then he's going to know everything, but I got a good 10 with him. And that's my, like my plan to be the, to be the most present, incredible, loving, nurturing, guiding voice in his life. And everything else is tinsel. I, I just have one thing to say. Um, I don't usually talk about this process, but when we reach out to guests, um, I talk a little bit about, you know, what I've spoken to you about, but nobody just like instantly says yes. And if they do, it's for a specific focus, a reason, a program or whatever. You were the first one that was like, oh, we're talking about me being a dad. I'm in. Nothing else was said. And I thought that was, that speaks so much to, to you as a father. Oh, bro. You sent me so much information and I'm like, Dude, just tell me you're, you're like I was like you had me at um a, we're Christian dads talking about what it is to be dads and I'm like oh cool yeah then I'm in yeah, done like, what, yeah what else you I don't I don't care I don't care if it's your first episode I'm in <laughs> I love it I love it man we appreciate that so uh, that's a good point now Cody where where's the best place for all of our listeners to go find uh, your material and uh, you know if they're a man listening to this and they want to get to step up and start getting engaged in the process. Is it just your website or is it Instagram? Yeah, What's I mean, the best place to reach out? I mean, I feel like in this day and age, we're all on social media. I mean, I, th I think that's pretty fair to say, right? That's probably how people are engaging with you and finding you is through your social channels, probably Instagram and things of that nature. I'm easy to find. Look for Cody Jefferson with a blue check mark. The reason I say that is not as some sort of social flex. It's because I'm never going to try and sell you crypto or any type of investments. And so I'll always just go to the certified one. Um, but man, listen, I feel like we've all got a story and uh, I'd, I'd love to hear yours. So if you're listening, you're like, man, I want to reach out to this guy. I get to do a lot of really cool stuff. And you, if you like type my name into Google, like you'll see a lot of articles and Forbes and men's journal, and you'll see a lot of cool stuff. But end of the day, I'm a dad in Oklahoma. Like if, if, if you're cool and not like crazy, like we can grill out and it's going to be a fun time. Um, just shoot me a message and, and that would be great. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to hear, if you want to look at like what we do, um, ETL, which is embrace the lion, but ETL roundtable.com is where you can learn a little bit more about why we do what we do and how we do it. Um, you can peruse all of my social content and you'll get a really good feel about who I am and, and what's most important to me. Um, you're just going to hear a lot of stuff about my family. And outside of that, I mean, yeah, you can go to my website, CodyJefferson.com, but really, like, if you want to connect with me, just shoot me a message. Just say that you... Uh, just as the header of the message, put the name of this podcast. That way I know. So, because I do do quite a few shows and that gives me some context as to who and why you're reaching out. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Cody, we really appreciate your time. And I, lo I love talking to other dads who are just so passionate yeah. about being a dad like you are. It's a blast. And, uh, also, just straight to the point. Because I think we need more of that, um, especially for men, right? We don't have time for anything else. Yeah. I'm yeah. not here to just be in a big old circle jerk. That's right. We got to get to crass, it. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right.
I was in the army. I can, I can handle. It. You can handle. We're dudes. We can handle. It's like we want to act like we don't talk like this, but we do. Right. I'm like, no, I'm just a pillar <laughs> like that. I'm this pillar of spirituality and righteousness. I'm like, well, that's yeah. cool because I still I, I I love Jesus, but I cuss a little too. So that's right. <laughs> All right, Cody. Well, uh, for those listening or watching, go give Cody a follow if you don't already. Um, his his reels are awesome, super motivating, super inspirational. Um, but Beyond that, if you want to get down to business, reach out to him yeah. and uh, take action. Cody, it was a pleasure. Really appreciate your time. And uh, enough talk, men. It's time to climb the mountain of fatherhood. Let's get to it. Let's get it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.